Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. We get to try again. That means that episode one, two, and three received at least a C minus grade. My name is Alex Kaufman. This is Wintry Mix episode four. I'm here with Drew the intern. Yo. There he is. We have a big day today for a number of reasons. As I said, episode four, our guest is Brian Heon, who is the general manager of Wildcat Mountain in New Hampshire. They made snow last week, so we will talk to him about that. Uh, Today's also the day I got my mouth refilled with teeth. I lost a tooth 18 months ago eating a breakfast sandwich. Uh, a piece of sausage uh, exploded in my mouth, those little bones that are in the sausage. Have you ever bitten into one of those, Drew? <laughs> not not to the point where I lost a tooth, now. Yeah. I went all the way. I went big. Uh, instead of going home, I should have gone home. Um, and I got it put back in today. So 18 months, $5,000 later, I have a full set of teeth. Do you brush your teeth, Drew? Uh, I actually have missed a few last week, but I picked a a new toothbrush yesterday, so I'm going to be back into the teeth cleaning. That's good. I'm, I'm proud of you. Thanks. I think my dentist will be happy, too. Yeah. Uh, why don't we get started um, with Drew with the facts to set us up for our interview. Drew, what do you have? Yeah, so uh, 1933, the CCC began cutting the Wildcat Trail. Uh, we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of the Snow Cane of 2005, which allowed Wildcat to be fully open before Halloween. What were you doing then? Uh, I was 11 years old, so I was still playing hockey. I, I didn't get into skiing just yet. That was a crazy storm. Both Wildcat and Killington both got like three feet, like everything above about 2,500 feet. Um, it was a hurricane transition to a kind of a nor'easter looking thing, and they opened up every trail on natural for like three days of crazy October powder, um, and then it all melted, and I think they, everybody got open a month later, but it was wild. Yeah, I think uh, two or three years ago on Halloween, it snowed uh, a foot or two back in Mass., yeah, Berkshire East and stuff like that got, got hammered then. Yeah, I do remember that. And then uh, our last fact here is there are 64 million house cats in the United States. Meow. All right, right, meow. We are going to be back with Brian Heon from Wildcat Mountain here on Winter Remix. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> Welcome back to Wintry Mix, recording to you from VPR Studios in Colchester, supported by VPR and their members. We have live on the phone from Wildcat. I guess you're not in North Conway, New Hampshire, but you are near it. Brian Heon, who is the general manager. Brian, what? you're not really in a town, are you? Where is Wildcat exactly located? No, it's interesting. Wildcat is uh, in an unincorporated township. So uh, we are in Coas County. We are between uh, Jackson uh, would be the town to our south, and uh, Gorham would be the town to our north. And before we get too deep into your background, um, a friend of mine who knows you pretty well said that you are quite a uh, football fan. Uh, yeah, I love the Red Sox. Uh, they're one of my favorite football teams. Uh, no, not really. Is that your chair that we hear in the background? What kind of chair are you in? I'm in mean, my squeaky lazy boy chair. That sounds pretty comfortable, actually. Yeah, not so bad. So let's get into a little bit of skiing then, since uh, football is probably not where we want to go. Um, you were born where? Started skiing where and when? Uh, yeah, I started skiing at the age of six. Uh, I grew up in Connecticut, and um, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough, that my folks loved skiing, and they would drag me and my brother uh, to southern Vermont every weekend. So uh, kind of born and brought up at Stratton, Mount Snow, the old Magic Mountain, Bromley area. 
Um, learned to ski there, skied there uh, throughout high school, uh, then uh, wanted to continue, raced collegiately, uh, Division One through college, so that was a, a nice time of skiing in my life. What, what kind of racing were you into? Uh, well, alpine skiing. Um, my specialty was more of the, the slalom and giant slalom. I did ski some of the, the speed events, the Super G and the downhill, but uh, when you're a tall, lanky guy, uh, the speed events and inertia is, is not on my side. So uh, I was a little bit more uh, quicker on my feet. So slalom and giant slalom was, was uh, more my specialty. So looking up to the Mare Brothers, something like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah the Mare Brothers were my, were my idols back were, in the day. Were you competing against anybody? Any names that we would know now? Geez, in the mid '90s, um, you know, there there are some guys on the on the U.S. ski team that I competed with and against, and, and used to race. Uh, you may know of or have heard of Bodie Miller before. No way. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Bodie. Uh, he was a good friend with some of the guys that I went to school with, so it was uh, always interesting, even back before he was on the team, just how he would uh, d- dominate a, the even the Division One race field. So. How was he off the hill? Did you have any off the hill experience with him? I mean, back back at that time of his life, was he kind of like he is now, or, or more just a kind of a regular Joe? Yeah, I mean, he was a regular Joe. I mean, he was just uh, you know, his guy who'd come visit us sometimes on the weekends, and uh, you know, we'd, we'd we'd hang out at, in the college scene. Um, but then when we were on the race hill, I always just remembered you know him beating everybody by by more than a few seconds. So there was something different going on there when it came to the ski racing. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, take us from college to where you are now in, a, in some kind of form. Yeah, co- right after college, um, you know, I skied a lot through college, and I don't know if I got burnt out or, or what it was, but uh, right after college, I, I uh, did something pretty dramatic. I, went to, I moved to Florida, and I worked for Walt Disney World for about a year and a half out of college. Uh, pretty cool working experience. Um, you know, definitely something that, looking back, um, you know, whenever I went to a job interview after that, people were always like, oh, my gosh, you worked for Disney World. That must have been awesome. What did you do there? Uh, I was uh, I was a water park manager, so I trained lifeguards. I uh, I worked at actually Blizzard Beach um, for about a year and a half. Oh, that's down. fitting. So, yeah, yeah, isn't it? You know, in retrospect, it it it, uh, it is it is rather fitting. So you, so you were in Florida, and then you got into the ski industry. Where how after that? Yeah, I was actually uh, after living in Florida for about eighteen months and not having uh, that was a, probably the only winter I I have never skied. Um, in the past 30 plus years. Um, so I, uh, got, so you did it for one year and that was that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I know I need to, I need to change the scene here. I need some weather. I need some seasons back in my life. Uh, so I just, I packed up a lot of my stuff and I, and I drove West. Um, I ended up in park city. Well, so now we find you at Wildcat, and for those that aren't that familiar, it's uh, just north of North Conway in New Hampshire. We are on with Brian Heon, who is the general manager of Wildcat, if you're just joining us. Out west in Park City, now in New England at Wildcat, and Wildcat's been in the news in the last little bit, while there's been a lot of news recently, uh, because both Sunday River and Killington decided to fire up their snowmaking systems and get open to skiers. Uh, Wildcat was different than that. You guys decided to start making snow but not get open. Walk us through the last seven days. Yeah, um, you know, about a week ago, a week and a half ago, we saw a cold snap uh, forecasted for our areas. About we we're looking at roughly about 48 hours of snowmaking temps, um, and then uh, you know potential warm up uh, afterwards. So we kind of thought about you know do we go for the full on open or, or how do we position ourselves? Um, you know, definitely our base area is at 2,000 feet. Our summit is just over 4,000 feet. Uh, we're right across the street from uh, one of the coldest, windiest spots. Uh, in North America, uh, Mount Washington. So that uh, this time of year is, is something favorable 
Um, so we decided to that we would make um, we would fire up our snowmaking and, and concentrate on the, the top two thirds of the hill, um, which I think was uh, you know concentrate all of our, our water, all of our snowmaking efforts up there. Um, this time of year, the the upper section of our hill doesn't see much sun. So, you know, if there was potential for the snow to last, uh, that was the best spot for it to do it. So uh, that's that's the, the direction we headed. So in those about 48 hours, how big are the whales up there? They're big. We've got some 10-foot piles of snow up there. It's it's pretty impressive. Nice. Um, now, help help the, the folks who maybe aren't that familiar with snowmaking, um, you know, as best as you can explain it really quickly and in, in, in how snowmaking works from kind of a science perspective. How do you actually make snow? Uh, so basically what we do is we try to, uh, there's two sets of pipes on our hill, one that moves uh, water and uh, one that moves compressed air. Uh, every one of our guns requires compressed air and water to make snow. So basically uh, the air and the water either externally or internally mix in the gun, um, and create a, uh, you know, a frozen water crystal, and then the, the rest of the bulk water kind of sticks to it as it falls uh, from the height of the tower gun to the ground, creating snow. Um, so what we did the last go-around is we, we like I said, we, we concentrated on basically the upper two-thirds of the hill um, with our snowmaking efforts. And obviously technology has taken uh, you know, a lot of things in different directions. Uh, at Wildcat specifically, um, I do recall that there's been some changes, some improvements, some, some new technologies in place there in the last few years. Um, is what you did last weekend, would that have been possible three, four years ago? It would have been. Um, we would have been probably... You know, certainly not as productive, and the cost would have been outrageous for what we did. Um, about two years ago, uh, one of my first years at Wildcat, we really started looking at what we call low-E technology. So um, the, a lot of the expense in, in making snow is in compressing your air and moving compressed air. Uh, people say, why is air, air so expensive? But um, that, is, that is a lot of the cost of, of the process of snowmaking. So if you, the, the least amount of compressed air that you can use, the better. Um, we, uh, that's where, that's where the dollars come in. Exactly. Exactly. So last year, uh, last summer, we put a $2 million project into effect at Wildcat Mountain. Uh, we pulled, uh, we replaced over 10 miles of pipe, uh, up and down the hill. Um, we put about 230 brand new low energy efficient guns on the hill. Uh, and we rebuilt a booster pump house. So an additional pump house, um, two thirds of the way up the mountain, just to kind of uh, add some more efficiencies to uh, our water moving ability. Well, more on snowmaking. I was recently at a conference um, at I guess it was your your sister resort, Atatash, uh, about a month ago, and one of the one of the topics and one of the forums that I was in was the, the challenge in hiring snowmaking staff year over year because um, it's a seasonal position um, and just getting people who maybe have never done it before and a training them and b hoping they don't quit because it's really difficult work. You know, what have you found as far as good ways that that, that you've been able to to, to get staff and either keep them or train them? Yeah, we've got a lot of great ways. I think uh, Wildcat is, is definitely has a cult following um, when it comes to staff and, and skiers. I think, uh, you know, there's Wildcat, there's, there's Mad River Glen, ski it if you can, there's Alta. There, there are these few resorts that I would almost call bucket list resorts for any skier. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the uh, the following that we have, um, I think the culture of wildcat snowmaking is is something that we've really worked on uh, over the past couple years. Um, getting the guys on the hill involved, really uh, giving them ownership of of our system, um, getting them excited and stoked to to get out there to make early season snow, uh, to be a part of it. Um, I, I think is really uh, something that the 
that the crew has taken on and, and really, um, you know, just just taking a hold and and they're they're the ones driving the boat here. So, do you guys slap an opening date out there, or are you basically going to open when ready? Yeah, we're going to open when ready. Um, I'd love to put an opening date out there, but I think more importantly, we're going to open when we are are uh, ready to go top to bottom. I think opening up with a two thousand over two thousand foot vertical drop of skiing with a high speed lift um, is, is really the way to go. That's going to give people probably more than they can handle. Two thousand feet right off the bat will uh, make anybody's quads scream. Um, yeah. I've got some. I've got some guest questions. I'm going to get to in a minute about snowmaking. Uh, we'll guest when I say guest. Um, publicly submitted via our Instagram and Twitter uh, sure. handles. We'll get to in a minute. But before we do that, um, you know, you're not all about snowmaking and running lifts and selling tickets. What do you do when you when you're not skiing? Do you do you travel? Where, what do you, where do you like to go? Yeah, we we uh, you know we, we spent a, my wife and I and uh, now two young daughters spent uh, you know. 13 years living in Utah, so um, we, we try to get back to Utah as much as possible. Uh, if I'm not uh, skiing at Wildcat or skiing powder in the winter, um, my next other vice is, is water skiing. I'm a very avid water skier. Um, we try to do as much water skiing in the, in the North Conway area as we can in the summer, uh, and we are, uh, we're avid Lake Powell. It's a, a lake in southern Utah and northern Arizona. Uh, we love getting out there with a ski boat and a houseboat. Uh, it's a trip we've been doing for about no, 15 years now religiously, so it's a, it's a good time. With which which dam is that behind? Is that behind uh, a certain dam? That's the Glen Canyon Dam. Okay. Just north of Lake Mead, which is the Hoover Dam. Let's bring Drew into the conversation here just a little bit. Um, sure. He's an intern. He's from Linden State College. He's trying to get a, a job better than this one in the ski industry going forward. Yeah, so how did you manage to go from uh, lift ops all the way up to general manager? What, uh, what steps did you take to get to that position? Yeah, I was uh, I was in lift ops for about seven or eight years. Um, I was uh, I started out as a lift operator, and then I started training lift operators. Uh, then got into lift supervising. I was the lift manager, uh, and that was kind of my tenure at the canyons. And then when I moved to Mount Snow, um, that was uh, about five or six years ago. Uh, I started out there once again in lift operations. Uh, then grew into more of a you know, a, a mountain manager where it was lift operations, lift maintenance, patrol, ambassador. So uh, over the years, I just kind of uh, grew and learned more more about the resort. And what about that first interview? What did you do to get that first job at the Canyons? Yeah, was, was, was there something special there? There was. There's an interesting story there. I was the guy who showed up at a ski resort in a shirt and tie and a, and a jacket. I don't think it was a suit, but I was pretty, you know, for, for what I was at the time, kind of dressed up. And um, they sent me down the hall to to meet with this woman and I walked in and there she was in Carhartt overalls and she had, you know, just gotten off of helping the lift maintenance guys doing some line work. Uh, and she offered me the job, um, as a, you know, lift operator, or lift supervisor time. Uh, and actually probably about 12 years after she offered me the job, uh, I asked her to be my wife. So, um, watch out because that, that can often happen at a ski resort too. So, wow. If we asked her about that interview, yeah, you know, I'm sure you guys must talk about that. Um, oh yeah, you know, late at night, a few beers deep or something. I mean, wh- wh- how would she describe that interview? No, yeah, she she remembers me as as the as the young, good looking guy who came in a shirt and tie who worked for Walt Disney World. You know, yeah. And she said, you know, how can you not hire that guy? He's he comes from you know this 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 company that is known for their guest service, and that's what we're striving for. So um, I think that uh, that's that's. I think how she remembers it, but most importantly, she remembers that she was my first boss. So yeah, she's still the boss. So if if someone comes into your office and what's the quickest thing they can do to not get the job? Tell me what they can't do. 
I think that's the biggest thing. You know, I think working at a ski area, uh, you have to wear all hats. Um, you know, that I won't do this or I won't do that. Um, you know, my first, I was hired as a lift operator and then trained lift, op- operator, uh, lift operators how to do their job. But the first, I think, 30 days, all I did was track work, which means all I did was take apart snowcat tracks and put them back together because that's what needed to be done before the season. You know, and then that year we also opened up the Grand Summit Hotel. So you'd think that the lift supervisor, would I be running lamps up and down the Grand Summit Hotel to put into rooms right before guests were checking in? No, but that's what I did. You know, it was just kind of an all-hands-on-deck uh, attitude. And that's I, every resort, not that I've worked at a lot of them, but that's the way it's always been. Let me get to a couple of uh, questions from the Peanut Gallery Internet audience here really quick before we let you go. Sure. Um, and these may or may not be good questions. Jawiz VT, why is there one always aimed directly at the lift during preseason? Is it just to get ice on my goggles? I presume he's talking about snowmaking there as far as, you know, the direction in regards to lifts and people not liking getting it all over themselves. Right, yes, that is the exact reason why um, <laughs> we like to, to, to fr- freeze up. And then at the top, we actually sell goggles. So um, you need to buy a new pair. No, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, often the wind... Especially at Wildcat, the wind can, can wreak havoc uh, quickly on a snowmaking operation. Um, you know, 100 yards up or down the, the trail, the wind's doing something completely different. Um, you know, sometimes the wind will quickly change directions and, and, and move where the snow's being made. Um, so that's, uh, that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately, on that. We definitely try not to do that, uh, but sometimes that is a never-ending issue necessary evil 22 chia i don't know how you say that c-h-y-e-h y-e yeah 22 chia asks what is the cost of snowmaking um and i I suppose probably the best way to ask that is is what's the way to quantify how much snowmaking costs a ski area either like by day or by by gallon or is there any way to really quantify it sure you know we have a, a kind of a we know how much um it costs to move um you know every thousand gallons of water or, you know, um, how many compressors we're turning on uh, to compress the air and how much compressed air we're doing. Um, but when you look at it from a season, we look at how many hours of runtime we make snow for, and we have a dollar value that we can add to every hour of runtime. Uh, I'm not going to use real numbers, but for example, say that every hour of runtime costs you $200. That would include your labor, uh, electricity for pumps, um, whether electricity or diesel that power your compressors. Um, all of that kind of stuff plays into a factor. So some resorts say, you know, on average we make snow for 500, 600, 1,000 hours of snowmaking. Um, and then you can really look at, you know, there's a price you put on every hour that you make snow. Do you see anything right over the horizon in regards to snowmaking technology in the next three to five years? Uh, I think the industry really over the, over the past three or four years has really um, engulfed this low, this low E technology. Um, a lot of the major lift, uh, excuse me, uh, snowmaking manufacturers, um, HKD, SnowLogic, TechnoAlpin, um, they've really uh, created products um, that allow resorts to use a lot less compressed air. And like we said earlier, that's where a lot of your money is. Um, so that has been a huge game changer for the industry as a whole. Um, I think moving forward, um, a lot of companies have, have started to get into, and a lot of other ones are starting to get into, and that's automation. So having guns that will automatically turn on and off by themselves. Um, it, as, it, as it gets colder, the gun may add more water to itself. As it gets warmer, it would take water away. 
So uh, I think the industry is is, is 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 heading in that direction. And give us an elevator pitch on Wildcat before we let you go. It's a great little mountain. The history at Wildcat is absolutely phenomenal. Um, some of the history there, the skiing at Wildcat started in, back in the 1930s. Um, in fact, uh, the reason they started cutting trails at Wildcat was so they wouldn't have to hike up Tuckerman's Ravine. Um, it's, uh, it's no frills. There's no spa up there at Wildcat. It's uh, some true New England skiing. A lot of the trails were cut with the fall line, not you know, where the trail takes you, not where you want the trail to go. Um, 2, 000, over 2,000 vertical feet of skiing serviced by a high-speed detachable lift that takes you six and a half minutes, and you're at the summit with probably one of the most gorgeous views in all of New England uh, right there smacking his face at Mount Washington in the presidential range. Thanks for coming on, Brian, and uh, thank your wife as well for making a great choice. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know? And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for you, which is nice. Drew, maybe you should just be a snowmaker if you don't get the job you want this season. What do you think? I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of being on uh, the mountain at night unless they have night skiing, of course. More of a desk jockey? Uh, a little bit desk jockey, jockey. I would also, I don't know, I don't mind being out in the elements, just uh, not for 12-hour shifts with cold water and cold air blowing in my face. Yeah, you got to be pretty tough. I'm not tough enough to do it, really. <laughs> no, I'd need a, a nice sauna at the bottom of the mountain if I was going to be in that position. I'm sure they'll they'll get right on it. So we just talked to Brian Heon, who was the general manager of Wildcat Ski Area in New Hampshire. We had him on because, uh, well, Sunday River and Killington got open, but Wildcat also made a ton of snow and are saving it for the next cold snap so you can ski on it maybe in the month of November or so. Uh, we also learned, surprisingly, that his future wife was his inter, I guess, hiring manager at the Canyons uh, however many years ago. Uh, so he walks in there trying to get a job, and if she doesn't hire him, I mean, think about that. They don't get married. They don't have kids. They probably aren't in New Hampshire. We definitely don't have them on the podcast. Um, that's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I just had uh, I just had an interview today. Uh, I don't think my expectations are that high, but I'm hoping to get a job at least. But hopefully not. But you're not planning on marrying your hiring manager? <laughs> not, not today, no. It sounded like it was kind of accidental, like there was a lot of years between that hire and when they decided they were going to become an item. But I would be curious to hear her take on that interview and like how close she was to maybe not hiring him and thus having a completely different future life. That's just a wild thing to think about. Well, it was really great to learn more about snowmaking from Brian, and that was episode four. We're going to get to episode five. You've got one more in you, right, Drew? You're going to be here for one more episode? Yeah, I got one more here. Alex. All right, great. So we're going to have uh, Drew around for episode five. We'll get a new intern in here probably around episode six or so. Uh, we are looking for a sponsor. We'll get one down the road. No big deal. Uh, but for now... Wintry Mix is supported by VPR and their members. We are recorded at the studios of Vermont Public Radio in Colchester. I'm your host, Alex Kaufman. Our fall 2015 intern is Drew Foley from Linden State College. Our producer is Angela Evansy, and the show's theme music is performed by Adam Levy. That's all we got. Thanks, guys. Brian, before we get started here, um, how do you pronounce your last name correctly? Uh, Heon. Heon. Okay, I wasn't sure if there was...
yeah. silent letter in there or anything? No, yeah, there's actually a silent P in there, but. 